Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. We're in a series of messages on, the, on uh, Psalms 84, and uh, we've just entitled this The Valley of Baca which is the valley of weeping, because that's what uh, the main verse that we're looking at says. So let's just start right back there again. Verse four, Psalms 84 says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. Now notice the Bible says you pass through. You're not supposed to live there. It is a place you pass through. In, in the Psalms, in Psalms 23, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a place you're supposed to live. Some people say, well, I'm just like Job. You know, I've got all of these problems. Bible scholars all agree that the book of Job, from when trouble comes to when God literally turns his captivity, is at the most nine months probably closer to three. So you say, I'm Job. Get healed, get blessed, get delivered. Then you're going to be Job because that's what happened to Job. He passed through. He didn't live there. Yea, though I, excuse me, as they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. Who does? They do. The people that are passing through the valley make it a spring. So often, We're just waiting for God to do something. But the truth is, God's done everything he's already done. Excuse me, done. Already everything he's going to do. In Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says he provided for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it's not up to God what happens as you go through the valley. It's up to you. In Mark 11, in verse 23, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things that he saith shall come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, according to this verse, Jesus is talking about how to face mountains and trials. And he's talking about how to use your faith. Now, how many of you will agree with me that Jesus knows more about faith than you or I. Okay, this is what Jesus said. It's not up to God whether your mountain moves. It's up to you. Because Jesus said, if you will say to this mountain and do not doubt, but believe the things that you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. You'll have whatsoever you say. So as they pass through the valley, they make it a spring. The rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. Well, a few weeks ago, when I was speaking, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David is going to be facing Goliath. You know the story. We've got over here a hill and the Israelites are on the hill. There's a valley with a little stream going through it. And then there's another hill. 
and the Philistines are over here. For 40 days, these two armies have been on opposite hills. And every day, every morning, every evening, there's a man from the Philistines that comes out. His name is Goliath. He's uh, roughly about 10 foot, three inches tall, weighs about a thousand pounds. This is no little guy. And he comes out and he says, send me a man to fight with me. And if I kill him, you are going to be our slaves. But if he kills me, we will be your slaves. Every day he's coming out. And the Bible says the Israelites hear it and they're filled with fear. And they withdraw from the battle line. But David shows up on the 40th day. And he hears that giant says the exact same thing. And David's response is, uh, what's going to happen for the man who kills that giant? And they say, well, first of all, your whole family is going to be tax-free. No more income tax. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. And then secondly, he gets to marry the king's daughter, and she's a babe. David's like, I'm in. Count me in. All right? David is talking. In fact, he says to the king in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, he said, don't worry about this Philistine. He tells the king, I'll go and fight him. Now, what's happening is this. Is David is beginning to speak. His faith is talking. Now, there's, there's, there's principles of faith that it's, we, we should understand, we need to know. And you can be taught the principles of faith. But faith is not a principle. Faith is a spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, Since we have the same, the identical. People say you could actually translate this, the carbon copy, spirit of faith. Okay, so there's principles of faith, one, two, three, four, five, six. But the principles of faith will not work without the spirit of faith. Right? Now, again, the spirit of faith is caught. It cannot be taught. It's caught. Right? So David is 15 years old, and he has the spirit of faith. When Moses is 80 years old, he has the spirit of faith. This has nothing to do with how old you are, right? And literally, I want you to listen. The most precious possession you can have on this earth is the spirit of faith. It's a spirit. Again, it's, it's not a principle. You can know this in your head, but it's got to be in your heart. It's the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's written. So David wrote it. This is what he said. He said, I believed, therefore I spoke. So then the rest of the verse says, we also believe, therefore we speak. The exact same way the spirit of faith worked for David and worked for Moses is the exact same way the spirit of faith will work for you and will work for me, right? You believe it, and you, you believe it and you speak it, right? You believe it and you speak it. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Um, Romans 10 in verse 6 says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. 
When, 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 when there is faith present, it is going to, it is going to manifest. There's going to be words that are spoken. There's going to be things that are done. So what does it say? Who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead? So this is what faith does not say. Right? Faith does not say, if Jesus were just here, I know if Jesus was here and Jesus would touch me, I would be healed. Now somebody says, ooh, they got faith. No, the Bible just said that's not faith. Faith does not demand that Jesus show up. Got that? First Corinthians, first Corinthians, excuse me, first John chapter three, verse 23 is what it says. It says, and this is his commandment. Right? Now, most Christians, if you say, what's the commandment? They say, well, it's to love one another. You failed the test. Because that's 50% of the answer. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So there's one commandment with how many parts? Two parts. One part is love one another. But the other part is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I've used this this example before. Uh, When we got married, um, Jeannie had no debt, right? and she gave me, us, we should say, all right, $100 in a bicycle. No debt, but, but that was the total extent of her assets where I don't remember. I probably had $20,000 in the bank in a car, okay? $105. Mistake, mistake. $105 and a bike, all right? Uh, I forgot. And the dentist bill. And it took care of that 105 bucks in a hurry, didn't it? Okay. So we get married. The next day, she can go to the bank. And with just one flick of the pen, Mrs. Dwayne Vanderklaat, get all the money that we have, right? Now, she didn't need to bring me to the bank. She didn't need me physically present. All she needed was the name. And what Jesus left us was his name. He left us his name. And the Bible tells us we're supposed to have faith in the name. But what most of us want is we want a physical presence. How many know Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? He's not physically showing up, but he's given us his name to use. So the righteousness of faith, it speaks in this way. Don't say, who will ascend up into heaven to bring Christ? Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up? But what does faith say? Faith is going to say something. It says the word is near you. Now, I know people who would say, well, if I could just go to Fenton, Missouri and have Joyce Meyer pray for me, I'd get it. No, the word is near you. One translation said it's nearer than you think. It's in your mouth and in your heart, right? And here's the truth. If you go to Fenton, Missouri, and Joyce prays for you, right? And you don't have faith in your heart, and it's not in your mouth, it's not going to matter. Listen, Jesus goes, this is Mark 6, Jesus goes 
to his hometown of Nazareth. And this is what the Bible says. They don't have this because I didn't know I was going to say this, okay? This is, this is what it, it's, the Bible says. It says, Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief, All right? So here's God in the flesh, Jesus. I mean, he's perfect. He's got the most faith. He's got the most connection. He's got the most anointing. He's got everything. But what could he do? Nothing. Because of their unbelief. Now, sometimes we think, well, I prayed and I believe. Well, do you know if Jesus could not get something for them because of their unbelief? You can't get something for somebody because of their unbelief. This is the quietest Presbyterian church I've ever been to. (laughs) All right. But the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. So literally, there's a miracle in your mouth. There's a miracle in your mouth. You need to be saying, David said, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go and fight him. So Saul says to him, uh, no, you're, you're just a kid. You're 15 years old. You can't go fight this giant. But David said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the, out from the flock, I went out after him. I struck him and I delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. This kid's bad. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And the king says, okay, go. But what's David doing? His faith is speaking. His faith is speaking. Now, I want you to catch this about this. It says, first, he kills a lion and then he kills a bear and then he kills the Philistine. Right? His faith has grown. The Bible didn't tell us, but first he killed a fox and then a coyote, probably. Right? His faith is growing. Right? Um, uh, I, I was thinking, I, I was actually talking with a, another pastor this week. Uh, when Jeannie and I became pastors here almost 40 years ago, right? our, our annual budget for the year was less than the church's weekly budget is today. But I tell you what, if you had showed me the weekly budget 40 years ago, I'd have had to change my pants. I mean, it was scared to heave jeebies out of me. <laughs> but how many of you know you grow? You grow. I, I, I remember, well, I'll share that later. Okay. So David goes down. Remember, they've got the, the two hills, got the valley with a little stream. And David goes down to this stream. And by, by the way, it is a seasonal stream. It's still there today. Right? And he picks up five stones. Now, I've been there several times. And I went down and I picked up five stones. Right? And, and, but you know what? People have been going there and picking up stones literally for 2,000 years. They've been going there picking up stones. And so, so the, they ran out of stones. So the government every so often brings a truck and brings another load in. <laughs> so mine were not the original stones. <laughs> All right. But he picks up five stones. And somebody said, why would he pick up five stones? There's just one Goliath. I think he realized he had four brothers. 
He was ready for the whole family. Because the Bible shows us he had four brothers, right? And somebody else said, I think it represents what God uses, which is the fivefold ministry. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says that he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Five. Evangelists, prophets, yeah, excuse me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So this is how you remember this, all right? The teacher is represented by your pinky, right? And he's the only one that'll get inside your ear, get that wax out. All right. Now, the pastor is represented by your ring finger. All right. He's the one that's going to love you, and he's the one who's going to care for you. The, the evangelist is represented by your middle finger. It's the farthest reaching. And the evangelist reaches outside the church. He goes where they haven't heard before. He goes and, and, and brings an evangelistic, a, a come to Jesus message. All right. Now, the prophet is your pointing finger. He looks at you and he says, hey, this is the way it is. This is what you need to do. This is where you need. This is the direction you need to go. He's that pointing finger. And then the apostle is represented by your thumb, right? Now, here's what the, the apostle can work with any of the others. And when he works with any of the others, he magnifies what they do, all right? And he's the strongest of all of them, right? So that's kind of a way that you can remember those, that five-fold ministry. So the Philistine, Goliath, he looks at David, and the Bible says he disdained him. He was only a youth, probably 15 years old, ruddy, good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed him by his God. He's cursing David as David is coming. Um, how many of you have ever had your body speak to you and tell you I'm sick, I've got pain, your checkbook tells you you're broke? Right? It's kind of like this Philistine talking to you, right? But you need to talk back. Right? One of the things that we learn from David is you always move towards your giant with your mouth working. Right? This is what he said. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, of Israel, whose armies you have defiled. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. In this day, I will give your carcass to the, in the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, but the battle's the Lord, and he will give you into my hands. And so it was when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. He puts his hand in that little pouch, pulls out a stone, slings it, hits that giant right in the forehead. He falls down. Jesus, David goes over, takes that sword and cuts his head off. I love this fact that David defeated the enemy with his own weapon, cut his head off. And by the way, after that, Goliath didn't say anything. <laughs> you, you just need to keep on going until the devil shuts up. Just keep going, keep going. Now, here's what I, I, I think is so interesting. This is the 54th verse. And David took the head of the Philistine. And he brought it to Jerusalem. 
but he put his armor in his tent. Now, here's what faith does. Faith looks ahead. Here David is, probably 15 years old. He just kills the giant, and he takes his head. It's about 15 miles from the valley of Elah to Jerusalem, right? He goes 15 miles with a giant's head in his hand. And he stands outside the walls of Jerusalem. The Jebusites are there. The Israelites have never been able to defeat the Jebusites. And the Jebusites have said, the blind and the lame can keep you out of here. This this city is never going to fall. But they're in the promised land where they should not be. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what David did with his head, but I know, I believe I know. I believe he got there and he lifted up that head. And he said, you see this? This giant was in the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just killed him. And I'm serving you notice today that you had better vacate this place because the day is coming when I'm going to come back and I'm going to take this city and dispossess you. Now, listen, the 22 years later, Read it in your Bible. He becomes king. And the first thing he does is go to that city. And they said, you'll never take it. And he took the city. He dispossessed them. Your faith, when you see one thing happen, your your faith will show you what's going to happen. It, It will paint a picture on the inside of you of what God's got for you in your future. Now, I remember... 39, almost 40 years ago, we became pastors, right? The, the church was behind on their building payments, right? One month we, we were paying the electric company. The next month we were paying the gas company, right? And I remember talking to, the, to, to our leadership and talking to the church and say, we're going to believe God to pay this church off. They thought, oh my God, you're nuts. What do you mean? We, we can't even make our building payments, And you want to pay the church off? Now, when I told them that, I saw in my heart this building full of people. But I didn't tell them because they thought I was crazy just talking about what was going to happen in the next 12 months. Nothing about what was going to happen in the next 20, 30, and 40 years. Right? But you know what? When you're in faith and God gives you a victory, you know, when you kill the lion, there's a bear that's coming next. And then there's going to be a giant. And then there's going to be a city. And then there's going to be a nation. That's what David did. You know, in his faith, when he began, he knew where he was going. He could see more because faith looks ahead and it sees not just where we are today, but faith looks ahead at where we're going to go. Right? And that's exactly what happened. Now, Genesis chapter 1 says this in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to the likeness and let them have dominion. What were you created to have? Dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And as I often say, ladies, you have authority over all creeps. Right there it is. 
And then in two verses later, God says that this, he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Can I tell him? Jeannie and I were talking about this verse a while ago. And Jeannie said to me, he's telling them, have lots of sex. And I said, that's right. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. What does that sound like? Probably shouldn't have told you that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Subdue it. Different translations say subjugate the earth, master it, bring it under your control, take control of it, be its master, conquer it. Right? Listen, you are not supposed to worship the earth. You're supposed to take dominion over the earth. Right? I'm not saying abuse the earth. But the earth is here for man, not man for the earth, right? And, and we've got a lot of people today that they are practically worshiping the earth, right? God said, you take dominion over it, right? You conquer it. You bring it under your control, right? You subjugate the earth. The earth is here for man, not man for the earth, right? So God gave us dominion. He gave us dominion over the earth. Of course, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. So you have authority on the earth. You have authority over demons, over Satan and demon power. Now, listen, you do not have authority over people. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8 says, no one has power over the spirit right? To retain the spirit. You do not have power over somebody else to make them do something. Right? I remember when we were in Bible college, um, my roommate, tall, handsome guy, there were several girls who, who said, God told me I'm going to marry you and you've got to marry me. Well, it doesn't work that way. Right? You can't make somebody do something else. Any, listen, anytime that someone tries to take dominion over another person, right? It's witchcraft. It's wrong. You do not have power over the spirit, over somebody else to restrain them, to make them do something. Anytime somebody tries to subjugate you, take dominion over you, it's wrong. Anytime one ethnicity tries to take dominion over another ethnicity, it's wrong. Got that? It's wrong. It's a spiritual perversion, right? No one has power over the spirit to restrain the spirit. Now, God won't make somebody do something. If God was going to make somebody do something, he'd make everybody get saved. and We could all go into the millennium in the morning. In fact, if God was going to make you do something, he'd make everybody tithe. Right? But how many you know God doesn't make you do it? He may want you, that's what he wants you to do, but he does not make you do it. Jesus took authority over demons, over storms, right? He, he spoke to sickness. He spoke to disease. He used his authority, but he did not ever make somebody do something, right? Um, this, this, this years ago, a woman has a Bible school in Texas, right? And, uh, she, she says that, well, but what she said, she says, I want to marry the certain evangelist. She says, and I claim him. 
He has to marry me in Jesus' name. And the problem was he was, first problem was he was married. So she cursed his wife and commanded her to die, which by the way, did not work. 40 years later, she's still around. All right. But see, that is a spiritual perversion. You don't have authority over somebody else to make them do something, right? We have authority on the earth. We have authority over evil spirits, over sickness, over disease, right? But you can't make somebody do something. God, again, God won't make anybody get saved. Now, listen, this is what faith does. Faith does not make God do anything. I'll say that again. Your faith, my faith, will never make God do anything. All it does is it believes and responds to the promises that God has already given us. It responds to what God has already done. God said to Abraham, you're going to have a child. And he believed God, right? He believed God's promise. And all your faith and my faith do is that they respond to what God has already done. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Why don't you listen to just a couple of verses? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So what do we have to have? We have to have knowledge because faith is based on knowledge. You can't believe for what you don't know. As his divine power has given to us. Not what God's going to do. It's what he has done. All things that pertain to life and godliness, your normal natural life, your spiritual life, all things already done through the knowledge again of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now listen to verse four. By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. What has God given us? Exceeding great and precious promises. What faith does is it finds that promise and it believes the promise. It confesses the promise and it stands on the promise. But faith does not get God to do something that God hasn't already done. Example, everything that's needed for someone to be saved is already done. Jesus already went to the cross, already shed his blood, already purchased our redemption. And what do we do? We believe it and we receive the exceeding great and precious promise. Healing. The Bible says he himself took your sicknesses and bore your diseases. And by his stripes, you were healed. So you you don't need to get God to do something for healing. You need to believe what he's already done and receive it. It's kind of like if you have an account at a bank. So you have something in your account, but it's not in your possession. Is it yours? It's in your account. But you've got to get it out of there to get it in your possession. Right? Spiritually, there's a lot of things in your account. But what faith does is it brings it into your possession. Right? Um, I, I heard a story, and, and I believe it's a true story. But in the early 1900s, there was a man in Europe who wanted to get to the United States. He, didn't, he, he saved and he saved to get a ticket on an ocean liner to come across the, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's going to be an eight-day trip. 
He, he finally got enough money. He purchased his ticket. He had just a little money left over. He bought a couple boxes of crackers. And they're going across on this ocean liner. And every day he's, he's looking into that dining room. And how many of you have been on a cruise? I mean, you know what they do. They, they just, oh my God. I mean, it's just like, wow. And every day he's looking in there and he's seeing the people. They're eating steak and they're eating salmon and they're eating desserts. And they're just, they're just eating and eating. And he needed a few crackers. You know, they're just about to get to the port in New York. And the captain sees him outstanding out on the, on the galley. And he goes over and he says, uh, I hope you enjoyed the, 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 the trip over. He said, uh, I, I never saw you in the dining room. He said, well, he said, the truth is, he said, I just had enough money for the ticket. He said, I bought two boxes of crackers and I ate crackers all the way over. And the captain looked at him and said, didn't you know the price of the ticket included all the meals? Listen, I believe that all of us as Christians are living under our rights and privileges as believers. There's so much that Jesus has paid for, right, that we don't realize he's paid for, that we're not believing for, right? But we need to step out and we need to believe the exceeding great and precious promises. And you say, well, what are they? Well, the Bible tells us right here that they cover everything that it has to do with life and godliness, Everything that has to do with your normal life, everything that has to do with your spiritual life is covered. I want to read one last scripture, Romans 5, verse 17. For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through the one, that's Adam, he let Satan, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, prejudice, every wicked thing you can think of, he let it in. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with himself, reign as kings. How are you supposed to reign? As kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The Bible says in Revelation chapter one that he made you to be a king and a priest to God the Father. The Bible says we're to reign in life as kings. How do we do it? Through the exceeding great and precious promises of what he has already done for us. We're not trying to get it. We've already got it. It already belongs to you. It's in your account. We've just got to get it in our possession. And that's what faith does. It receives what has already been purchased in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Religion, any religion, you name it, it gives us lessons. But Jesus came to give us life. Literally, Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth with a Savior. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. What that literally means is this, that all the good things I could ever do or you could ever do could not make us right with God. In fact, in, in Romans 3, in verse 20, it says, no one's ever been made right with God by being a good person. 
by obeying rules, by the works of the law. No one's ever been made right with God. But what Jesus did is he came representing you and me, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and died in your place and in my place. And he paid a debt that he did not owe because you and I owed a debt we could not pay. He paid for our sin. And he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And if you and I will receive him, the Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not just enough to know about him. It's not enough to believe in him. You need to receive him. Receive him as your Lord. Receive him as your king. I know there's people today that you're away from God and you say, I, I want to get back to God. I want to get in right relationship with him. There's other people you're here. And if you could cry out, you would say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I want you to rescue me. That's what he wants to do. Come into your life and rescue you. There's some of you here. You say, I, I don't know where I stand with God. The Bible says, We've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to die and find out if you're right with God. You're supposed to know. And if you're here today and you say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive forgiveness. I want him to come into my heart, make me a new person. I want to live for God. I want to be forgiven. I want Jesus to cleanse me and make me new. I'm going to turn my back on my old life. I'm going to live for him. We're going to pray a prayer right now. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head, to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. And if you will pray this prayer out loud from your heart, when we say amen in just a moment, you're going to be right with God. If you're online, would you please pray this prayer with us? Just say, make, the, make this prayer, these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not going to live to please myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my king. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.